Hello online world, hello co-OTR, this is Off The Record with Migs and Cheska. My partner Cheska Litankalaw is currently in the States right now, but this is a very special episode as we talk about Gilas Pilipinas. Gilas Fever still on, currently the team is uh, serving their quarantine right now at the hotel in uh, Manila, but right now we're going to talk about all things Gilas. We're very proud of what the team has achieved. Previously, we had an OTR sidelines members, Coach Shandy Arespacochaga, Isaac Go and Jordan Hitting, but right now we have the general, the general of the team, the point guard, and he's everything Gilas Pilipinas. Welcome to the episode, Coach Tab Baldwin, for this special episode. Coach Tab, how are you? I'm very good, Megs. Thanks for having me here today. All right, Coach Tab, lots to talk about, lots to talk about basketball and everything else in, in between about Gilas. Coach Tab, I want to ask you first, how are you? How was the whole trip? From the bubble to the qualifiers to Serbia and back to the Philippines, how are you now, Coach? It was long, and a lot of it was really tough. Uh, but of course, you know when you're in the basketball environment and you're, you know, you have your teammates around you, you have the coaching staff around you. It's a great group of guys, so there's a lot, lot worse it could have been. But uh, you know, the isolation, the the bubble, the not being able to mix with, uh, I guess, the real world, is it, it wears on you. It gets tough. It gets old. So we're very much looking forward to the end of the quarantine and getting back out into the real world. I'll jump the gun and get straight to the point. Of course, when we talk about Gilas, so much lessons learned, so much experience, and so much to talk about. But maybe for you, from your perspective, first-hand perspective, what are the best lessons learned for this current Gilas team, Coach? I think you know that that uh, we're not as far as maybe what the results of the third FIBA window might have indicated. You know, when we had a couple of great wins over Korea and and uh, a good win over Indonesia and good performances. But you know, when we stepped up to the next level, we we saw that there's still a lot of holes and a lot of things we have to learn. And and I think the biggest lesson is the intensity of our trainings, which probably supersedes most of the trainings that you would have here in the Philippines on, on the basketball map here uh, just aren't intense enough to get us ready for that caliber of play that we saw in the Olympic qualifying tournament against the uh, Dominican and against Serbia. So uh, I think what we're doing is probably pretty good, but uh, I think that we have to uh, lift the intensity and I think also we need a lot more preparation games we need a lot more international experience for these guys so that they're not sort of shell-shocked at the beginnings of games and and you know we're not constantly finding ourselves having to adapt to what our opponents are doing and, and claw back and you know that we can have some ascendancy in games rather than always you know trying to uh, figure out ways to keep the dam from bursting mm -hmm. Coach Tab, what have been the major improvements that you've seen from this young squad? Um, certainly offensively, I think that, you know, the, the lessons we're learning is that the details really do matter. So what the coaching staff has been preaching 
and what is one of the hardest things to, to get the players to practice religiously is all the minute details of execution. And when you get up against, say, like the Dominican team that really physically uh, stepped in our way and, and tried to impose themselves physically on us, that the little things like, you know, fake before you cut and bump the defender, um, things like make your cuts fast, not just at a pedantic pace, which a lot of times in practice they don't do because the defense is different than what you get up against at the intensity of that level. I think those messages now have a lot more meaning to the players. And, uh, you know, these are the things that um, I'll expect the players to bring into training, you know, the next time that we assemble and uh, begin to get ready for the Asia Cup. Coach, as you mentioned about attention to detail, like faster cuts, better ball movement, and they've experienced it with Serbia and Dominican Republic. Do you think that they have a better understanding now of what you and the coaching staff are trying to teach? When you mentioned go faster cuts, you got to be able to set screens better because of the realities like Serbia and Dominican Republic. Absolutely. And, you know, as much as you can talk about something and be right, it doesn't have the impact of getting it imposed on you by an, an opponent. And it's not even when you have really good practices and your players tend to execute things better. It's still not the same as, as the experience of going up against, you know, these world-class teams that, that play the game at that level, both in their professional leagues and in their training for the national team. And, and then obviously when they come to these international tournaments, you know, so, uh, experience is invaluable, and it is a much better teacher than than just the voices of your coaching staff. Coach Tab, I want to tell you this personally because, of course, there have been a lot of fan talk and analysis, especially during after that first Korea game and maybe the second Korea game also. Personally, Coach Tab, I want to tell this to you honestly that my favorite play of the first Korea game was the staggered screen for SJ for the four-point lead in the layup. That was my most favorite shot besides the game winner. It was because of attention to detail, execution down the stretch in crunch time. Usually, Coach, uh, I bet you would agree that we see in the NBA, right? Or maybe we see in some pro leagues where crunch time, five seconds left, right? Or under one minute to go. Usually, it's like isolation play. But you executed that play you've been doing all game. How tough is it, Coach, to execute attention to detail, especially during the biggest moments in crunch time? I don't think it's any tougher to execute the play. What I, what I think it's tougher to do is to get the players to maintain their discipline, that this is what you train to do. This is how you train. And... Uh, every play doesn't work every time and for a variety of reasons, defensive adjustments, defensive cheats, lack of execution, uh, timing issues. And, you know, when it, when it does come together, you do expect to get a good result out of the execution. And if the defense does fall asleep a little bit. So, you know, for us, it's not just knowing how to execute the play, but it's also having the discipline to when something breaks down for whatever reason that you understand what your counters are and your sort of your plan B within the possession. And 
you know, in that particular play, we didn't have to utilize that. The, the, the primary option sort of broke open and, and the players executed it well. But the fact is that we should do that more often. And, you know, that's where our disciplines are not as cemented as a culture yet as what we need them to be. And uh, I think that when you watch a Dominican or a Serbian team or a Lithuania or Slovenia or any of these top international teams, what you're really watching is discipline, discipline behavior, and not necessarily great systems. It's just their ability to understand how to play the game, the concepts of the game, and those concepts are what build systems. And those players are so very, very good at executing the concepts. And in that particular play, all that you really saw was us executing a stagger off-ball screen very well. And that's just a concept within the game. But that what you mentioned about discipline, it takes a whole lot, right? It, it takes a whole lot of discipline not to deviate as a player. It takes a lot of time. It takes... Like the easy part is understanding. The easy part is learning. You know, it's it's kind of like studying history. You can learn all the facts, you can learn all the dates and all the names, but unless you know the impact of what history has on you today, then the study of history is incomplete. So it's the same. You can learn the play, but unless you understand how to execute that play and how to, you know, what the counters are in case the defense makes an adjustment then the play has very little value for you. Now, Coach, uh, moving on now to, of course, the Olympic qualifying tournament, Gilas versus Serbia. What was the game plan like? How how, how, how was Serbia like uh, facing them as an opponent? Well, we, we knew that, you know, that they have very big guards. Uh, we knew that Marjanovic was a force in the middle. We weren't really sure, you know, how to deal with that because we had two seven-footers, and, and we felt – we didn't need to double the post uh, because we felt at least we could be big against him. And, and they are such great passers and they have such great vision and ball movement that anytime you double team them, you know, the ball just looks like a pinball, how fast it moves and finds shooters. And they have great shooters in that team. So the decision to, to stay one-on-one -on -one in the post with Marjanovic and really to try and do Actually, what Italy did very well last night to, to beat Serbia, and that was to exploit Marjanovic in the ball screens when he was playing defense. So our one-on-one -on -one defense against him was actually okay until the end game, but we didn't do a great job of exploiting his defensive weaknesses at the other end. But what we did do was we scraped and clawed and scratched our way to staying in the game and uh, we executed just well enough to, to keep our, you know, nose above the water. And, uh, you know, we had some shots down the stretch that really could have, um, I think, could have, you know, actually turned that game on its, on its ear. And uh, if Anj had hit his three or Kai had hit his or SJ had hit his or Balti had hit his in those last minute and a half, that game could have had a different tone at the very, very end. And, so we felt good about it. You know, we felt decent about the game plan. We felt great about the effort of the players and actually felt pretty good about their composure down the stretch. But, you know, we just didn't hit the shots that, that could have really turned that game into a win for us. And I think some of that is just part of the education of these players to have a calm mind 
and to treat every shot that you take the same. You know, no shot is bigger than any other shot. So there's still lots of lessons to learn individually and for us collectively. I was supposed to ask Coach Tab if you could take us through that final three minutes when uh, I believe RJ Barrientos hit a go-ahead layup, and then you 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 mentioned it best. You know, sometimes breaks of the game, shots not falling, shots not going your way, but maybe just for that game, maybe back to the drawing board amongst the coaching staff. If you were to do something different, if you would have done something the same, what would it have been uh, specifically well, for that Serbia game? Serbia played their hand, and their hand was Teodosic and Marjanovic had to have the ball, and they were going to be the offensive forces to get them home. So they played their hand very, very early in that when that game got tight. So for us, we had to play our hand, and our hand was the pick-and-pop game against Marjanovic because everybody's defense elevates in intensity in those last moments, and we knew that the Serbian defense is a very good defense. So the most important thing to us was not to try necessarily to get our best shooters a shot because we felt that would be very, very difficult, but it was to get a good shot. And that's why you saw, you know, Kai get an open three and Anj get two open threes because we were picking and popping on Marjanovic and we just didn't hit the shots. And then also, you know, Balti gets an open three off of a set play on an out of bounds. And again, he didn't hit the shot. So Really, our, our hand was to get our big men three-point attempts because we knew anything at the rim or anything attacking off the dribble, we were going to be going against their best defensive players. And so, you know, we, we did what we wanted and they did what they wanted and, you know, theirs was just better than ours at the end of the game. What about uh, Gilas versus Dominican Republic, Coach? What went different and how would you assess that game? You know, there's an old saying in rugby I picked up uh, in New Zealand many years ago. You know, they say all the time in rugby, it's a game of two halves. And, um, you know, the first half certainly was a good performance by us. You know, we were able to do a good job at both ends of the floor. And um, it really looked and had the feel that we were the better team. Now, we went into the locker room, you know, with full warnings that the Dominican is going to come out a different team. You know, these are, these are hot blooded Latinos and, you know, they play the game with passion as they play all of their sports, as they live their lives. And, you know, they're, they're not ranked 19th in the world because, you know, that they just roll over and die. We also knew that that guard trio of, uh, Liz and, uh, Serrano and, and um, Torres were an outstanding, you know, trio of, of scorers. So we kind of, you know, without, I guess, laboring the point, we kind of knew what was coming to a degree, but we didn't really, I think, prepare the players well enough and outline it well enough. And sure enough, in the second half, they just bullied us and bullied us legally. There was nothing outside the, you know, the bounds of, of good sportsmanship and they just got in our face. Uh, you know, if you go back and look at the video, you know, um, I forget the number seven's name. Um, he was a very tough guy and he's got a reputation as being a very tough guy. You know, he literally stood in Kai's path and he's only about six, four and he stood in Kai's path and wouldn't let him run down the floor. And he forced Kai to have to change directions uh, just to get into the offense. 
Well, we don't have the experience yet to know how to physically handle that, both in terms of making that type of defense ineffective, but also imposing your own physicality, which we are not ready to do yet, you know, onto these grown men and these grown men that had been backed into a corner and really were defending their, I guess you'd say their rightful place to move on in the tournament as a higher seed. So, you know, it was great lessons in the second half, but I, I was disappointed that we didn't become a bit more confrontational. I think that when we become more experienced and we will confront that type of situation, you know, commonplace at the elite level. In fact, in the China scrimmage, we even got that a little bit. I was a little disappointed that we didn't sort of elevate our own level of physicality and, and, and become a bit confrontational and take it, take the game almost to the edge of, you know, what's acceptable from a sportsmanship standpoint. Because I think if you know, you know, the old saying, if you don't stare a bully in the face, you know, you're going to get bullied all the time. And I think yeah. we needed to do that, obviously, without crossing the line. But, you know, you have to get pretty close to the line to back a bully down. And, and we didn't do that. Hi there. I'm Mish, host of Mish Conceptions, the podcast that talks about the common struggles of modern day millennials and Gen Zs as we all navigate through college, enter the real world, and build our careers. Let's talk about the realities of adulting and corporate world that no one will tell you about. These are the things you wish you knew sooner to get ahead in life or simply just to get by. Join me in my podcast, Misconceptions, as we discuss maximizing college, life after college, building your career, self-improvement, relationships, and anything and everything that will help you on your personal and career development. So make sure you check out my podcast after you listen to this episode. See you there. Coach Tab, now for the benefit and maybe visual for our viewers, because when you talk about international tournaments, right, when you go up against, you know, Serbia, Dominican Republic, of course, throughout history, you battled Croatia, Turkey, etc. How can you differentiate the international game? Because people, a lot of people may think of it as like, based on rankings, oh, Serbia is like number five, Dominican Republic number 19, and then when you go Philippines, Against Serbia, you know, right? When you go up against a number five team, it means that maybe you could take on the Dominican Republic at number 19. I don't know, maybe along those lines. But I'm just, uh, um, you know, speaking in behalf of the viewer on how to get a better grasp when you take on teams in the international stage and their differences, for that matter. Coach well, first of, all, first of all, let me clear something up for you. International rankings mean absolutely nothing. International right. rankings are based on a, three-year cumulative assessment of your victories in FIBA competitions, including your junior teams. The, the ranking doesn't really reflect, you know, what, what you're actually confronting on the court. For instance, Serbia is generally regarded right now as the second best basketball nation in the world next to the United States. But they just got knocked out of the OQT by Italy at home. And I don't know what Italy is ranked right now, but it's probably not in the top 10. But this Italian team is a top 10 team. 
it, Lithuania just got knocked out by Slovenia. Lithuania is ranked much higher than Slovenia. The Slovenian team is a much better team than Lithuania. Canada, with, I think, 11 NBA players, just got beaten by the Czech Republic. So you can throw the rankings out, both in terms of teams that are overranked and underranked. So Dominican is probably not a 19th ranked team, but they're certainly ranked well above us in terms of real terms. Now, you know, having said that, and so throw the rankings out, on any given day, you walk out on the court believing you can win, as the Czech team did against Canada. And the Czech team with one NBA player beats a Canadian team with like 11 NBA players. And that's the way you have to think. But the actual adjustment from local basketball, and this is true in most countries, when you get to the international level, is speed of the game, speed of decision-making, and size of the players. What do I mean by that? I'm not talking about the pace of the game. You're still going to have games that have 65 to 75 possessions. That doesn't change that much. But within each possession, the speed of the cuts, the speed of ball movement, the effectiveness and physicality of screens, and the speed of the decision-making by experienced players is so much better than what we have right now. And this is the area that we really have to grow. And you're best going to grow by continuing to experience these playing against these teams. When you talk about that coach improvements, that's attainable. Just from the last point that you mentioned about how effective you set your screens, how fast you move the ball. For us in Philippines, that's attainable from your perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we have to play lots of international games. And, and it doesn't happen without that. We can't go into a bubble and train and get that. It, it just doesn't work that way. You right. can't recreate the intensity and speed of playing a Lithuania or Serbia or United States and Argentina. You cannot recreate that in the practice environment. Now, they can because that's the nature of their players. So this is where the gap really exists, is that they can train at almost the same level that they play, but we can't, not yet. Not until we get you know, 30 to 50 of those international games under our belt. And I saw this very thing happen in New Zealand with my team there. So over the six years that I coached them, starting with no international experience, just like this Gila's team, and going to a point in, in 2004 in the Olympics when I, I thought we had one of the best teams at the Olympics. That process was probably 50 international games. And if you looked at our trainings from 2001, compare them to our trainings in summer of 2004, with basically the same players, entirely different trainings, entirely different. So it's really a process, Coach. You have to devote time and experience and exposure for you to be able to get that. Exactly. Exactly. It is a process. And that's why you hear so many people, they don't even know what they're saying, but they say, trust the process. That's exactly what they're saying. That's a big part of it. Uh, now, Coach, I want to go to, we talk about the players' chemistry, right? We talk about how the young guns, you know, are, well, literally young to be in the international stage going up against Boban Marjanovic, Amino Studošić, etc. Um, we talk about their chemistry, but I want to get to know more about the coaches' chemistry being in a bubble for quite some time and being able to work together. Curious to know what's that like, you know, working together with, with a select group. Well, I, it's kind of like the same as the selection of your team. It starts with character. 
And when you talk about having John Yuchiko and Kaloy Garcia and Sandy Aris Bacachaga and, and Sandra Soriano and Alton Lester, Alton Lister and, and Boyette Fernandez, when you talk about having those guys as a group working together, and then we had Norman Black in there for a while, this is a great group of men, first of all. And I think we're blessed with that here in the Philippines. We're blessed with a lot of coaching knowledge embodied in very good people. So it starts out with the fact that we enjoy being around one another. And then as long as they're prepared to do the hours, and, and I think that, you know, by reputation and by fact, I'm probably one guy that demands more hours than anybody else. As long as they're prepared to put that seven in the morning until one in the morning, you know, day in sort of three or four days a week, and then the other days it's only a few hours less, um, then you can't help but get better. You can't help but develop a chemistry. So we have a lot of fun. We joke around a lot. You know, we play practical jokes on one another, and there's, there's plenty of that, but it comes amidst a significant number of hours of hard work and decision-making and, and give and take. I can't stand yes-men. I don't want yes-men around me. I want people that challenge the way that I think, that are prepared to disagree and argue, and but also prepared to justify their position. Don't just say, I went to a clinic or that's the way I do it in my team. I mean, by God, you'd better be able to explain the rationale behind your point of difference with me because I sure have mine, but I'm not, I'm not unable to be convinced of something if, if you have a good rationale. So it happens all the time with us. And I think because of that, because of that openness and, and mutual respect, I think we have a great chemistry as a, as a working unit. Mm. Coach Tab, uh, staying with chemistry, uh, got to interview SJ just fresh off those uh, that winning shot and fresh off those moments in this, those weeks. And I asked him, SJ, what was the most crucial uh, time for you in the bubble? And he mentioned, Coach Tab, that second week, that second week in the bubble for him and his teammates where, you know, they let their guards down, they let their egos down. Because for him in the first week, everybody was you know, feeling it out you know, feeling it out and showing what they can do. But in the second week, that was the most crucial for them. And that's when, you know, they really got together and be as a team. For you, Coach, uh, is there a specific time, maybe from the bubble, from the FIBA quali Asia Cup qualifiers to the OPT, where you said the, where you said that, you know, this team is something special? You know, I, I think and I believe in my heart that, building the chemistry and building the culture, which is what we're striving to do, is it's an evolution. And mm -hmm. certainly in all evolution, I mean, if you, if you study Darwin at all, you understand that evolution sometimes fails. You know, species go extinct because of some evolutionary blip. It could be climate, it could be catastrophe. Uh, you have the same thing when you're building a team culture over time. You have uh, watershed moments where, you know, maybe we have a terrible practice and the coaching staff becomes uh, pretty harsh with the team. And then, you know, you have a great practice and, and the guys find that, gosh, that feels a lot better when we come in prepared, when we, you know, we have a talk before practice or, you know, you start to institute some other mechanisms for uh, the way that you, you manage and operate the environment. So that evolution is ongoing, and I can't recall any watershed moments that were 
you know, so significant, although that they're fairly constant, you know, and, and I have to give credit to the entire coaching staff, to our management, you know, Yvette Ruiz, who's always looking out for birthdays and reasons to pull the team together to, you know, instead of have our normal meals, we have a pizza meal where everybody sits around and talks so they don't take their meal to the room. You know, it, it, that building process never ends. And we have a big board up on the wall in, in the cafeteria at Laguna, which which really has the formula for what we believe to be to develop the culture that we want. And so we're constantly referencing different aspects of that, you know, as we see that they need to be highlighted. I think that that's very, very important, but I don't think that we have incurred yet that, that one moment that has challenged to break us and that we have really had to look at one another and, and say, you know, either we need to adhere more closely to our disciplines and guidelines, or we need to give up. I don't think that we have had that uh, that crisis moment yet. It didn't come in Serbia. It didn't come in the Dominican. We're being, you know, we're being lauded too much. I think uh, it didn't come in the Korea games. It didn't come in the China scrimmage. It'll come. It'll come somewhere along the way. Um, if you remember back to the 2015 Asia Cup team that lost to Palestine in the first game of the, the tournament, that was a crisis moment. And from that moment, we made a decision to, to become a better team. And then we were able to go on and get to the finals. So those things happen. I expect that they will happen, but they're unpredictable as to when. Hello, this is Agnes Ravasho, CEO at MDI Novaria Technologies. Come listen to My Digital Impact, where I talk about customer experience obsession with fellow business leaders, about relatable moments on customer excellence, and teachable experiences on customer service. My Digital Impact is available wherever you listen to your podcasts, powered by Podcast Network Asia. Check us out after listening to this one. Thank you so much, uh, Coach Tab, uh, for your thoughts, of course, on the current team and uh, everything that happened so far in the past few weeks. Now, this, this is the time that we entertain questions from the community. Fans are excited that you're going to be here on this podcast. And actually, we have a few friends who sent in their questions, Coach Tab. And uh, thank you so much in advance for answering them. First of all, from Jeng Marzan, what is the importance of system and grooming young guys about team development? And the second part of that question, Coach Tab, is what are the pros and cons of today's youth towards their mindset of the game? Thank you, Jen, for that question. It's not system that we should be talking about in reality. I mean, we talk about the building blocks of a player and the building blocks of a team. And we start with fundamentals and we start with character. And, you know, everybody knows what those are, dribbling, passing, shooting, defense, rebounding, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people want to jump all the way to system. Like, what do you run? Do you run triangle? Do you run dribble drive? Do you run flex? Do you run Pete Carrill's high post offense? Uh, the reality is that systems are built from concepts. And this is where the real teaching is. So what do we mean by concepts? We mean things like, you know, what you talked about earlier, Migs, stagger screens, ball screens, flex screens, defending all these different actions. And players learning those components of a system 
And those are the things that are really important. And those are the things in which we amass a lot of time. And then we put those together to try and build offensive and defensive systems. And so, you know, those are, are absolutely critical. And, and I think probably not as well understood by a lot of coaches, particularly at the grassroots level. And so, you know, if we were going to advance the game, it would be in those areas. And that's where the Europeans do such a phenomenal job is in the concepts of the game. The pros and cons of today's youth um, toward the mindset of the game, it's a bigger challenge today uh, than it used to be. Um, I think the mindset is that what we lack is the focus on the game because there's so many distractions in the world today for young people. And trying to get through those and get players to concentrate on getting better but even more important than that is I think there's been a de-emphasis in modern society towards competition. That, that you, you hear so much now about, well, I was bullied, but I honestly believe a lot of kids that are talking about bullying are talking about competition. You know, that somebody is just challenging them. I don't really think it's always bullying, but I think it's misconstrued as how good are you or how tough are you or I'm better than you are. Well, you're bullying me. Well, no, I'm not. I'm just challenging you. Now, I'm not saying that in all circumstances, of course, but I think in modern society, we're, we're tending to default to that way of thinking. And whenever I'm challenged, somebody's telling me I'm weak. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're asking the question. And that's what sports is all about. That's what competition is all about. So we get kids coming from the home environment or from the school environment where they're taught that into the competitive environment and they don't respond to competition and they don't respond to challenges of the coaching staff as well as young players used to. I would counter that with the fact that in today's world, young kids have almost unlimited access to quality knowledge and information. You can go on YouTube now and you can get the best training methods that exist in the world. And they're right there for you free. You can be coached by the very best. You can do it as much as you want. So, you know, yes, there are pros and cons and, and kids that are taking advantage of that and are competitive generally have a great mindset for becoming elite basketball player. Thank you for those uh, answers to Jenk's question, Coach Tab. Now from RJ and Elaine, actually Elaine also wants to ask this same question. Will you, perhaps in the minds of many fans right now, will you be permanent head coach of Gilas? And what are your long-term plans, Coach Tab? No, I don't, I don't think that um, I'm ready to ask the SVP to install me as the permanent head coach. And we're talking really the time frame up to 2023. I think we need to keep challenging the environment. And to do that, I have to be part of that. I have to understand that if I'm going to say to the players, there's a guy right around the corner who wants to take your job. And if you want to hold your job, you better you better perform like there's a, a gun at your head all the time. Because if you don't, somebody's going to step in and take that role. And I, I think I need to be subject to that as well. And I think if I want to set a good example for the players, they need to know that, you know, I'm pushing as hard as I can. Uh, not just to make them the best team that I can, but also to secure my my spot, to earn my spot, and to be worthy of being a national coach. Because it is the greatest honor for a coach in any country 
is to be the national coach. And having been in that role in several countries, I, I respect that role. It, my, my respect is unlimited for that role. This is a tremendous honor, a tremendous privilege, and it is not mine by right. I can't even say maybe because I'm the best coach. No, no. I have to perform every day. And if I expect my players to have that mentality, then nothing less is acceptable from me. What are my long-term plans? Um, retire. <laughs> Pretty soon. <laughs> um, not too soon, Coach. Not too soon. Not too soon. No, no. We need you. We need you. <laughs> uh, look, I think, I think uh, you know, if, if um, they have to drag me off the sidelines, that would be a good thing. But... Uh, Um, you know, I'm getting old and I'm, I'm working hard to keep up with what are the current trends in the game and I love it, but I don't have the energy I used to. I don't have the, um, uh, I guess the strength that I, I used to have on the court uh, and the forcefulness in coaching players. I think I've mellowed and not necessarily for the better, um, but I'm still, I'm still hyper competitive. I still have a huge distaste for losing. So um, as long as I can maintain those qualities, uh, I think that I, I probably still serve a purpose coaching. Um, this will surprise people. I look forward to the day that I can be an assistant coach. I, I really do. Uh, the pressure of head coaching is, um, it gets tough when you get older. And, um, you know, to be able to give my knowledge to somebody else who's in that role I, I actually think that would be very enjoyable. So, uh, I, I mean, I still have a lot of fight left in me, but, um, you know, I, I love the game. Uh, but, you know, there's there's a finish date for all of us. There's an expiry date. And, and you know, Father Time is undefeated. So he's going to get me at some point, um, And I have to be ready for that. Well, as I mentioned, Coach, of course, not too soon. Of course, uh The Philippines needs you, and uh, very, you know, we all look up to you in respect of what you've done on uh, currently now with the current Gilas team. And let me, pardon me, if I'll just react to what you said, Coach Tab. Uh, you know, that sets a good example as a leader, right? Uh, you mentioned about the, the metaphor of pointing a gun at your head. Now, not only me and my subject, not only the players are subject to, you know, players, other players want your position, but also me. That also, you know, for me, now my takeaway from that is that contributing to the growth You know, you have to be on your toes all the time to the point that you cannot be relaxed and you have to be performed day in and day out for you to be able to be in that position. So very well said, Coach Tap. Thank you so much. Again, I learned so much from you uh, coming in from that quote. Coach Tap now from uh, Diego Vergel de Dios. Uh, he's asking, what is the difference in coaching in the Philippines comparing to New Zealand, Lebanon, and other countries? There's a lot of differences. There's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, right throughout the world, from what I've experienced, players are players. You know, they they come in, they want to compete, they want to earn their spot, they want to make money, and they love the game. Generally, that's true. I've experienced life in China where I don't think it's the same. Players there really treat the game as if it's just a job. I don't see a lot of passion for the game. But most places I've been, there's great passion among the players and competitiveness and a competitive spirit. But each place also has its uh, uniqueness about it as well. And that's generally where you see cultural aspects of the society coming into the, the team environment. And Philippines is actually one of the best because if you take the, the general Filipino individual, they're, they're friendly, they're kind, 
they're humble. And when you bring those into a team environment, it's, it's very, very easy to build uh, a culture where you don't have arrogance, you don't have head cases, you don't have cancerous people. But sometimes in the Philippines, I'm, I find myself as a little bit of the, um, the outside guy because I drive so hard. I'm not laid back. Like in my personal life, I'm very laid back. But in my professional life, you know, I, I'm, I don't know, can I say I'm a real pain in the ass, you know, to my players? I, you know, I, I'm a stickler for detail. I don't accept mediocrity. I don't accept failure. And I'm an in-your-face guy. So if you come in with a marginal attitude, I'm not going to let it slide. I'm going to be right in their face. And this is not typical of the Philippine culture. So sometimes I am the outsider. Nonetheless, this is what I believe it takes to drive people to get outside of their human nature and perform at an elite level because it is not human nature to be elite. If it was, we would all be elite, but we're not. We're all average, generally speaking. So the elite are the elite and the most successful in sport are the elite. So in order to get the average out of you and the elite into you, there has to be a, a stimulant. There has to be a driving force. You know, I'd like to think that I, I in, in some ways, perform that role. And that's what I try to do. Coach Tav from Giancarlo Mercado, who are your all-time coaching influences? Um, I would start by saying my father, of course. He was my basketball coach. He was a successful basketball coach at the high school level for many, many years. And when I say successful, he was considered amongst the best in, in his society. Uh, so he was a great coach. And then uh, the first coach that I worked for as an assistant coach was a, a fellow named Larry Chapman, uh, who coached at a university and I was his assistant. And uh, he was a great uh, influence on me in terms of defensive thinking. Uh, my father was very much a fundamentalist and a, a coacher of details, much like I am today. But uh, Coach Larry Chapman was the guy that really taught me uh, defensive concepts and principles and defensive toughness. But I would say probably the greatest influence on me as a coach was an American football coach who was a legendary coach. And I studied him and I studied his methodology in terms of player management, in terms of discipline, in terms of uh, attention to detail in terms of how to treat people. And his name was Paul Bear Bryant. He was a coach of the University of Alabama. Mahilig ka ba sa kwentong kababalagan at misteryo? Halingan sa aking website at pag-usapan natin mga kwentong humalaw sa kultura, kasaysayan at kamalayan natin mga Pilipina. Ako si Earl, ang inyong campmaster at inaanyayahan ko kayong makinig sa Philippine Camper Stories Podcast. Makinig na libre sa Spotify, Apple Podcasts, at sa inyong paboritong podcast platforms. I studied him very, very closely and I was a big fan of his. And uh, I take a lot of my attitude and my man management uh, of players out of his uh, school of coaching. Thank you for those uh, answers, Coach Tab. And thank you to the ones who uh, submitted their questions from the OTR community. Thank you, guys. I hope you're watching now and got your answers straight from Coach Tab. Follow-up questions, Coach Tab. Uh, perhaps uh, people are 
interested and excited to know when Kai Soto, you know, he was supposed to play. Uh, I mean, he suited up uh, to play for the Adelaide 36ers. Of course, contributed uh, to the Gilas program. What are your thoughts on his uh, role, Kai's role, and his improvements that you've seen so far? Well, he has a significant role in our program, of course, because, you know, we don't grow seven-footers very commonly, and, and we sure don't grow them with the talent that Kai has. Uh, the improvements I've seen in Kai is, is really his skill set is very good. Um, he, uh, For a man his size, he has great hands. He has uh, a nice shooting touch. He has He's ambidextrous. He can use his left and right hand around the rim. Um, he gets up and down the floor very well. But I think the two biggest areas of improvement are his, his play within the team environment because he just hasn't done much of that in the last couple of years. And of course, like nobody really has with the pandemic. So he's he's been victimized, you know, to some degree by that. Um, but even within his training, most of it has been individual and its orientation. And so he needs a lot more uh, game and team environment training. And he'll get that with Adelaide for sure. Uh, but the other thing that, that um, you know, really I think hampered Kai was uh, he doesn't have a great motor right now. So by that, I mean that uh, uh, for him to play at a high level of intensity for an extended period of time is a real challenge for him. So we were trying to play him in three to four minute bursts, but we even noticed that after the first minute, minute and a half, the intensity of his play went down. He would begin to pace himself a little bit. Of course, he didn't know that. This was a natural thing. But his pursuit of rebounds, his pursuit of rim protection, uh, getting up and down the floor, it all dropped off a little bit in intensity. So, you know, conditioning is very important for him as well. And playing the game continuously at a high level is, is something that he needs in his, I guess, his training repertoire now. When you talk about the front court, right, when you have Ange Kwame, Lokai, Baltazar, Gio Chu, what are your thoughts on the front court and what will be maybe the room for improvement when you talk about that? Um, our front court is very young and, and not just in age, but in terms of basketball experience, even younger, because Angelo is 23, but he still is very, very young in basketball years. He's, he's really like an 18 year old learning the game and uh, working with that over at Ateneo with him. But it's still a long, long way to go but a tremendous talent. Kai is 19 years old, you know, doesn't have much experience running up and down the court in games. Carl Tamayo, very, very young at 19 years of age. Um, Justin Baltazar and, and Isaac Go are most experienced guys, uh, but even they have only played at the UAAP level. So, you know, there's a lot more for them to learn, but in terms of number of games, you know, there are leaders there. And then Gio Chu is the other one who's, who's really hard, hardly hard any, had hardly any games at the UAAP level. So, you know, while they look good in the airport and they look good in, in <laughs> photographs, uh, there's just very, very little uh, game experience there. So this is, you know, this is a problem and something that time will take care of. What about backcourt, Coach? The backcourt? The backcourt, I think, is... is uh, probably got more short-term usefulness, uh, but also probably uh, it requires more 
uh, improvement uh, than than the front court because we don't have the physical qualities to to match the high level international teams. You know, when you've got small guards like uh, RJ and SJ and and even Jordan Heading is is not really big by international standards, and Mike Nieto not big by international standards. You know, they have to learn to play the game against the taller players at a higher level. Now we've got Matt Nieto, we've got Ray Suerte, we've got JD Tunkab, you know, we've got some of these other guys that are that are on the fringes to come in, but you could see in the in the games against uh, Serbia and particularly Dominican Republic, we were missing guys of the size, strength, and athleticism of a Dwight Ramos, a 30 Ravenna, um, a LeBron Lopez. But LeBron's just you know he's just too young, really, to to grasp all the concepts that we need to play at that level. But these are the guys that in the future really have to bear the torch. And, um, you know, the smaller guys have to learn how to play against that elite level if they're going to hold on to their spots. Once again, thank you so much uh, to uh, Coach Tab Baldwin for joining us here on Off the Record. Just a few more questions to go. Just I'm going to go a bit of a side note. Coach Tab, um, NBA Finals, just want to get your thoughts. First time that uh, in a long time that we're not seeing the superstars in action in the finals, it's going to be Suns and Bucks. What are your thoughts on this, and how do you think the series is going to go? You know, it's it's a too tough to call for me. I mean, I picked Phoenix from the very beginning. The coaches did a pool, and uh, so there's only two of us left. I picked Phoenix, and I think it was Coach Jong picked Milwaukee. So, you know, the old guys, we know a little bit about what's going on. But uh, um, I picked Phoenix, so I'm going to stick with Phoenix, and uh, I think that they're really well coached. I think that they have a good chemistry. And they're playing the game the right way. And uh, I think that's paying dividends now. And, you know, having been a firm believer in chemistry over talent for literally all of my career, it's nice to see that both teams, you know, are, are very talented teams. But I think that, you know, if you start changing some of their integral pieces, they'd fall apart pretty quickly. Uh, whereas if you take a like a hyper-talented team and you can – take one piece out, they'll still survive on talent. But these teams require their chemistry, and, and they both have great chemistries. All right. Thank you for that, uh, Coach Tab. So we'll see if it's going to be Phoenix in blank or Bucks in blank. It's going to be an exciting NBA Finals, of course, for the basketball fans. Coach, what are the team's future plans now? After this, after the quarantine, what's going to happen with Gilas? We're going to you know, try and get out of this uh, quarantine as fast as we can. Um, and uh, try and spend a little bit of time with the family. But what we need to do is get back into to training and, and games as quickly as we can. So uh, Gilas is looking for uh, some pocket tournaments, uh, probably uh, overseas before the Asia Cup. Um, but nothing yeah. is set in stone yet. So uh, like the immediate plans are to have hopefully up to a week off after we get out of the bubble or out of the quarantine and then back into training and uh, bring the players back in that uh, we lost due to injury and then reconfigure our team and see what changes we need to make, if any, and uh, then get ourselves ready for the Asia Cup. Lastly, Coach, for the money shot, how can the Gilas program sustain the upward climb? Well, Migs, it's all about work ethic, you know, and, and it's not just the amount of work 
it's it's your sweat equity, how much work you do, but it's also your brain equity. You know how smart you are at doing what you do, and you know we need to do both. We need to have these players assemble together, training, uh, training intelligently, uh, but we also need to to get them out on the court and playing games. And you know with the with the pandemic and the situation worldwide, it's still not easy to do that. But we need to be ready as soon as it is available we need to be out there and and uh, accepting requests and inviting other teams to come here to get as much international competition as we can once again coach tab baldwin thank you so much for your time here lastly coach message to the fans well my message is really thank you so much uh the the support that we received while we were in serbia and uh during the the window here in in clark was um very humbling You know, we were we were thrilled with people supporting us, people being excited, people feeling good about the team. Um, we felt great that, that we we maybe gave some uplifting spirit to uh, so many people that are experiencing tough times during the pandemic. And um, you know, we just want to say thank you first of all, and uh, God willing, we will keep bringing positive results. Uh, to all of you, and we will continue to earn your support. And uh, we we respect the fact that that it is not our right to represent the country, but it is our privilege, and that privilege extends to representing you, all of the Kababayan. And um, we're so honored to do that, and uh, we thank you all for your support. And uh, we we hope to continue to earn that support going forward. And of course, Coach Tab, you are our honorary Kababayan, of course, giving hope, giving courage, and giving, you know, the win that we needed during that window. And of course, representing Gilas Pilipinas with the best of your abilities. And of course, Gilas program, so much to look forward to for the basketball fans around the globe, all the Filipino basketball fans around the world. So once again, thank you so much to Coach Tab Baldwin right here. On off the record, Coach Tab. I hope you stay safe. I hope you get to uh, achieve all your goals for this Gilas team. And uh, once again, I appreciate your time. So once again, this has been Mix Busos for my partner Cheska Litan Kalau. Of course, we have Gilas Pilipinas at Coach Tab Baldwin. See you guys. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>